Good morning, City Light Church. I'm Mo. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's such a good morning to be here. I mean, this is our launch day. We've been waiting for it and, and drawing near to it for the last four and a half months, and now we're here. It's the official day. We are an official church. We count. We matter. Uh, uh, and also, thank you to those individuals who are part of the core team. Uh, we thank you so much for being with us throughout that season, and I also want to say welcome. If this is your first time gathering with us, man, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we're glad you're here to worship Jesus with us. And um, so as this week went on, uh, there was this tension uh, going on, and we feel this pressure to try to compensate for anything that we might lack leading up to the day, or we might try to like put on some sort of facade to say, hey, we're something more than we really are. But I'm convinced that that's not what we should do. That what we should do is we should be Jesus' church. And Jesus' church from the beginning, it wasn't anything too complicated. What they did is they were about God's word. They sing some songs about his greatness. And then we also remember what he has done for us. We break bread together. And then we also fellowship and and love one another together. So there's nothing fancy about this morning. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles. We're going to sing songs. Uh, we're not going to be a hip church or a contemporary church. We're going to be a Jesus church. And we're going to worship King Jesus this morning. Something to note about City Light Lincoln Church specifically, um, if you're new here, and uh, we have an emphasis. Um, there's something that we just really like to zero in on. We want to make sure that all of the things that we hand out to people have this subject matter in it. We want to make sure we talk about it often. We also want to make sure that every single person in the room gets their fill of this subject matter, and that subject is Krispy Kreme donuts with coffee. So <laughs> if you haven't gotten that yet, get your Krispy Kreme. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Actually, th- that subject is Jesus. Yeah. Everything we do, everything we say, the reason for being at City Light Church is Jesus. We center everything on him. I believe that we need to do that. And so this morning, it's fitting that we would have the conversation that we're going to have because we're going to ask a question, and I hope as we walk out, you'll, you'll understand what the answer to that question is, and that question is, who is Jesus? I believe it to be the most compelling and the most important question of your entire life. I believe if you know the true answer to this question and you center your life around that answer, it'll change it drastically and it'll be completely and utterly different. It'll rewrite your story. And so what I want to do is explain Jesus just for a brief moment. Jesus existed about 2,000 years ago, not three I have some small kids, I forget everything. Anyway, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was here, and he was born in a barn to a poor teenage girl. He himself grew to be poor as well. Uh, He was never married. He didn't have kids. He didn't own a business. He didn't build up a big company. He didn't run uh, a uh, religious group necessarily. He didn't come into power in politics, and yet... People write books about this guy 2,000 years later. They make movies about him. They still talk about Jesus in all parts of the world. And everyone has their own theory or idea about who he is, right? Like, there are some who say, well, he's a good moral teacher. Uh, He does a really good job of showing us what ethics are. And there's some who just have different opinions about him. And then there's like 2.2 billion people who say that he's God. 
So you can pretty much go around, and if you want an opinion about who Jesus is, just walk around. Like, just ask somebody. They're going to give it to you. They have an opinion that they have about who he is. And interestingly enough, Jesus in history is significant. So every calendar, the entire world's calendar, revolves around the birth of this man, Jesus. If you look at how the years before one come into play, it's labeled as B.C. or B.C.E., before Christ or before Common Era, and those years after year one are labeled as A.C. or, as uh, somebody said, it's Anno Domini, it's Latin, I don't know. But this is what it means. It means the year of our Lord. And so if this person is so significant to rule and reign over our calendar of the entire earth, I'd say we probably need to know who he is. Who is Jesus? And the only way I think we can understand that, I believe the only way we can understand that and know that is through God's word. Because the primary thing that speaks of him. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Uh, It's the fourth book in the New Testament. We're actually going to be in John for the next year. Uh, We as a church will walk step by step through the book of John. And so we're going to start in chapter 1, and we're going to walk right through it. Um, And today, so the reason why it's fitting, though, that we be in the book of John is because John is a person who is Jesus' friend. Like, John was a part of the, Jesus' three closest friends in his disciples. He was an apostle of Jesus. He was essentially Jesus' roll dog. If you don't know what that means, look it up in Urban Dictionary and you'll have it. Um, but he walked with this dude. Everything that Jesus did, John was with him. At, from the beginning of his ministry to his death on the cross, John was there And John wrote this book specifically trying to answer the question for us, who is Jesus? And specifically, he says that Jesus is God. Even at the end of his book, or at least toward the end, chapter 20, verse 31, here's what he says. He says, but these are written so that, anytime you read the word so that, so that, so that, 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 that that means it's a purpose statement. Here's why he wrote it. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life In his name, Jesus is God. Which gets me to my first point. My first point is Jesus is God. Very simple, very straightforward. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so John starts right out the gate and says, you know what? Jesus is God, and here's how I'm going to show it to you. He's preexistent. He calls him the Logos or the Word here. And then he says the Word is God's powerful self-expression, basically. So that's what, who Jesus is. Jesus is God's powerful self-expression. And he's saying that this Jesus was before everything. Before all of creation, before all matter, before all space, Jesus was there. He's eternal. Now, the interesting thing about being eternal for us is the fact that you and I are not eternal, right? We have a birth date And we have an expiration date. And so when you see our tombstone, there's a dash in the middle with a beginning year and an ending year. But with Jesus, he has none of that. Before there was anything in existence, Jesus was there. Before he came to be born in a manger, he existed. 
He's not a created person, but he's actually, in fact, the God of the universe. John continues to show us this as he continues to say, hey, Jesus was with God from the beginning. And what he's doing, he's alluding to the Trinity. What what we believe here is that God exists as one God. He is one God, but expresses himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We just did a, a really cool series on that for the last three weeks, I suggest you go and download our app, City Light Lincoln Church. Yes, this is a promo. It's okay. Uh, download our app uh, and listen to those sermons. They were actually really good. They, they talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what I, essentially what I want to explain to you is that Jesus has always been a person of the Trinity from all of eternity. And so he's been in perfect fellowship with the Godhead being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then in verse 3, John goes on and he says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so what he's saying is that Jesus is not only preexistent, not only a part of the Trinity, but he's also the creator of everything that we can see and everything that we can't see. So not only was he at the beginning, he was there. So I want to kind of wrap our head around this, this concept just a little bit. Jesus being the creator. So think about the biggest thing you know. If you look up in the sky, it's probably the universe, right? The universe is expansive. It's big. It's huge. It's not never ending. It actually has a beginning and an end. And based on current science, from the observable microscopes that we have, this particular universe is 91 billion light years wide. Now, I didn't know what a light year was, so I Googled it. Uh, so to give you maybe an ounce of perspective on that, one light year is equal to six trillion miles. So you do the math on that, that's 96 billion times six trillion miles. Okay? A lot of zeros. And then think about what we can see with the naked eye. We can see the sun. The sun is only 2.7 million miles. In the earth that we stand on, 25,000 miles in circumference. So all of that, all of those things that I'm talking about, the, the biggest things we know of, the planet Earth, the sun, the universe, Jesus created all of them. He created every single planet, every star in the sky, and then even, even more so, he created you. He created me, and, and Ephesians 2.10 says this. It's a very significant thing, City Light. Listen. Ephesians 2.10 says, in all of the creation that God has made, you are his masterpiece. So when he looks out into all of his beautiful creation, the Grand Canyon, the stars, the sky, the mountains, all of those things, he says, no, 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 you are his masterpiece. You know what that says about you as a person? You know what that says about all people? It says that all people have worth and value that's intrinsically in them. Not because of what they've done, not because of what they've accomplished, not because of the money or the shoes that they wear, not because they vote a certain way or look a certain way. They're significant because Jesus created them. We matter because we matter to him. Now, if this is true, then we can probably trust such a God, right? If he's created all things. And so I have to ask you a question, though. Do you believe that he has the right to instruct your life? And if he does have that right, do you give him a voice? Can you hear Jimmy? Can you hear Jesus speaking in your life? Only like two of you got that reference. That's okay. Move on. Uh, (laughs) 
But seriously, does he have a voice? Does he get to speak into your life? So I'm going to give you an example. My wife and I, Colleen, uh, bought our house about six and a half years ago. And since then, I've become a private contractor within my own home and a carpenter, which is a very dangerous thing. Okay, many bruises, cuts. I bleed about every time I do something. So anyway, so I've done at least three significant projects in my house, one of them being our basement. So when I set out to do these projects, I always have to have a reason for it. I want a purpose, and I want to see that purpose out. And so the purpose for the basement was we want to be able to host people in our home. We want to be able to have Bible studies, parties in our house, and be very hospitable. So we finished the basement. And then we decided to take our small kitchen and move it to a bigger room so we had a bigger kitchen. And so we did that project, and the reason for it was we knew we had kids coming. And in order for my wife to prevent them from dying, she has to be within eyesight of those individuals. And so... We made a bigger kitchen that you can see through the rest of the house from. And then also on the other side of it, doing ministry in my home, if you're off in a corner somewhere, you're not going to hang out with anybody. And so we wanted to make sure that we created space for my wife to be able to hang out with people. And then we put a shower in the downstairs bathroom so that people who stay over and spend the night at our house, which there's quite a few people that do that, uh, are able to bathe and shower uh, without coming up into our, our facility. And so... The really cool thing about all of that is I get to walk in each one of these rooms and just really be amazed by it. The reason why I'm amazed by it is because every single purpose and plan that I had determined for those spaces has been realized. So in my basement, I know individuals who have been sitting in that basement and come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I've seen Bible studies had. I've seen worship happening. I've seen parties happen in the basement that worship and follow Jesus. I've seen my wife have fellowship with the people that we invite in our home, and I've also single-handedly seen her prevent our children from killing themselves because she's able to see it. So I've seen that. I've, I've, I've had the opportunity for people to stay at our house and be able to bathe in it, and so it's just a great joy and a privilege to see the purpose fulfilled in the things that I've put my hand to. Now, the crazy thing would be is if something were to break. If something were to break, who do you think is probably the perfect person to know what was wrong and where that wrong came from. Probably me, because I did it, right? And so if that were the case, then yeah, that's usually what happens. My wife's like, hey, there's something wrong here. Can you look at it? Uh, The pipes froze because you didn't insulate well. You know, whatever that might be. So if I'm going to go fix the pipes, it would be crazy for my little son Uriah, who's three, to come to me and say, hey, dad, you're doing it wrong. You actually don't know what the problem is. Let me handle it. I got it. I got you. Like, it would be crazy, right? It wouldn't make any sense to us. And I think that that's what we do with Jesus as if he didn't create us. We say, hey, Jesus, I got it, man. Don't worry about it. I know exactly what's wrong. I can fix it. We're created beings by God, by Jesus, for Jesus. And what we end up doing, though, the reason why we do that is because we either want to make something else God to control our life or we want to control our life ourselves. And every single time we walk in that direction, we come up short, we come up wanting, we come up depressed, hurt, confused as to why everything unraveled. Now, if Jesus, in fact, God, we can find the reason why we exist in the first place in him. Purpose is distributed and determined by a creator. So like, for instance, if my kitchen was for a specific purpose, I get to decide that because I created the kitchen. You were created for a specific purpose, and Jesus gets to determine that because he's created you. And isn't that amazing that he gets to do that? 
We can know how we are made to function, why we are made, and who we are for by knowing the person who created us. Jesus knows where the issues are in your heart. He knows where the broken holes are and the leaky pipes are because he created in you and he knows exactly where it's going to start to fall apart. And so then, have you ever in your heart really trusted the pre-existent God who is the son of the Trinity, who created everything? Because I tell you what, when he, when he knows where those broken places are, he enters in and puts a patch on it, but it's not a temporary patch. It's a fix. He knows where the leaks are, and he completely fills them and satisfies all of the emptiness that you might find in your heart. Jesus is God. And then my second point coming from John is the fact that Jesus is light. In verse 4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, Jesus often is referred to as light as a metaphor, and that metaphor is basically a contrast. What he wants to show, what John wants to show is the fact that there's a contrast between our life with Jesus and our life without him. The contrast here is shown here in the text is the contrast is light and dark. Now, the interesting question is, what's darkness? And what I found is that darkness isn't anything. It's not a thing. Like, you can't go grab or look at or control or manipulate darkness. It just is. It's not a thing. And simply, actually, the definition of darkness in and of itself is the absence of light. And so really, what light does then, when you turn on a light in a room that's dark, it exposes everything in it that is true. So you are able to see current reality. And so this, this is us apart from Jesus, that we exist in darkness until he exposes our heart, exposes to us what life is. We sit in a constant state of a void, a lifeless, a directionless, sinful life. Our sinful lifestyle keeps us in that darkness, and we, we actually kind of like that darkness. And, and in that, it's not this cosmic battle between darkness and light. In fact, it's just this perpetual thing of meaninglessness that we walk in. Like we don't have a purpose apart from the light shining into our lives. We just muddle about in meaninglessness. Now, I know that's true for me. I know that's true for me because prior to coming to know Jesus as my Savior, that's the life I walked in. There was no direction that was leading to something ultimate. There was no, no, no one to guide that for me. I just kind of muddled about in my life. And so the only direction I really had is said, hey, I want to graduate college. I want to get a job, buy a house, and make a lot of money. Now, some of us in the room are like, well, that's not bad direction, is it? It's like, it's not bad to make money. No, it's not bad to make money. But at the end of the day, it doesn't solve the issue of the void of darkness in my heart. It doesn't fix it for me. And what it actually does, if, if that's what I'm pursuing, if I'm just existing in darkness, what happens when I get that first job is I start looking for the next one. And the next one, that hopefully that next job that I get, that's going to satisfy me. I'm going to be built up in that. And then when I buy my starter house, the next one I can upgrade to because it's going to have a nicer ceiling or nicer countertops or nicer cabinets in it. And then I got to look to the next one because that one's going to have more square footage. I'm going to have more space. And then the next, and then the next, and the next upgrade, the next promotion, the next raise. What we start doing is we continue to wander around in the darkness trying to grab hold of something, and before you know it, when we think we grabbed hold of something, we're reaching for the next. 
That's what it looks like to live without light. And to make it worse, as I walked in that life, in that direction, in the darkness, I started to develop a twisted view of people. I thought that people were for me. I thought they were for my pleasure, my own well-being. And so when I looked at people, my thought process, and I would even articulate it, is you have no value to me unless you are of good use to me. It's a void in a dark place in my heart, lifeless, and really personless to an extent, right? But it was honest. That's where I was. If you were of no good use, why even have a relationship with you? I wasn't trying to point people to God or to light. I was trying to point them to myself. And without light, there is no real life. In fact, life can't function apart from light. You can't function because you can't live, and then you can't move because there's no direction. You can't see anything. And so we need the light to guide us, even though we naturally wander. And what I usually use as an illustration to describe this is uh, I pull it out of Ephesians 2.1, where Paul says that you once were dead in your trespasses and sins. So translation, you once were zombies before Jesus, okay? Like you walked around as the walking dead. Apart from Jesus, that's what happened. Like if you... I love The Walking Dead, by the way. I just kind of visualize that. And so basically, apart from Jesus, you're walking around just devouring flesh with no aim, no purpose, no direction, nothing of true value of life in you. And then Jesus turns on the light. He turns on the light and shows us that there's no assurance in that life, but there's assurance in him. There's no life in that life, but there's life found in him. But instead, a lot of times when you sit in the darkness and that light isn't bright enough yet for you, you reject him. You reject the light. And so here's what John says about that. He says in verse 10, he says, He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who received, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of man, but of God. So even though we walk in utter darkness, he's made a way. He's made a way for us to actually experience true life, and that comes from knowing who Jesus is as the creator. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing that we intentionally, if with our life, with our natural posture, reject him, and yet he, by his grace, shows light in those dark places. But here's the thing. There's a choice in that matter. You actually don't sit in a place of neutrality ever. You don't say, I'm just kind of trying to decide if I want to walk in darkness or if I want to walk in light. No, you are in darkness or you're in light. You're either with Jesus or without Jesus. It doesn't matter if you thought that Jesus was a good guy or a good teacher or a good moral teacher or a good practical guy to live by. No, that doesn't matter. What actually matters is that you believe that Jesus is God in the light of life. And if you receive him as that creator and as that God, verse 12 tells us some really good news. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We get to be Jesus's kids. Like that is good news for us. That's good news for broken, dark, twisted people like ourselves. 
is that we get to have Jesus come in. And when he comes in and starts to shine that light, he starts to bombard our lives. He continues to push the darkness out so that we would illuminate his life with our life. Do you see it? God in his love decided to adopt some dead zombies into his family. It's beautiful. God chose to shine his light and pursue us when we were running into darkness. City light, the light, Jesus, shines in darkness, and that darkness has not overcome it. We are victorious in Jesus. And if you think for a second that your darkness is too overwhelming for the light, you need to think again. Because his light is so powerful, so, so vibrant, so amazing that it pushes every bit of darkness out and away when it gets in its way. There's no darkness that stops Jesus. It's only you not opening the door so his light can come in. He illuminates our natural conditions. He shows us our sin and our darkness, and he pushes it out by his life-giving light. And the result of that is to be a part of the family of God, which is a wonderful opportunity. So not only do we get to be a part of his family, but then he also gives us a mission. So you see John the Baptist in verse 7 there, um, what happens, he says that he is not the light. So he's not going to take credit and say, hey, I'm, I'm that Jesus, I'm the guy. No, he was set out to be a witness of the light, to tell other people about the light. There's a reason why our church is called City Light. Because we're not a, a, another organization to belong to or another club, but we're actually a family to belong to. And with that family, we want to take the light of Jesus that's been given to us and show it and share it and give it to other people. It's a beautiful thing that we get to be a part of the creator God, his family. But we have to ask ourselves, do you really believe in who Jesus is? That's the question we must answer. In order to belong to the family of God, there is no prerequisite but believing that. You can't pay for it. There's no dues for this particular deal. There's nothing to sign on the dotted lines for. There's no moral acts that you can perform that will produce that. The only thing is believing that Jesus is God and the light of life. Who do you believe in? Is it Jesus? So Jesus is light. That's my second point. My final one is Jesus is grace. And so if we look in verse uh, 14, here's what John says about Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So the God of the universe, the creator who spoke life into existence, who spoke the universe, which means six trillion miles times 91 billion, he spoke it into existence, chose to use Jesus as his display of glory and become a human. The truth is, we have broken God's law. So that human, that God in a bod, as Austin said a couple weeks ago, Jesus, amen, uh, God become flesh who dwelt among us came because of truth and grace. He was full of it. And in that truth, he exposes the fact that we have broken the law of a holy God. 
Now, let's, let's look at it simply because you're like, I don't know if I've done that. Think of the Ten Commandments or any other commandment in the Bible. It's like moral, morality 101. Put it simply. All right, so how many of us in the room have ever told a lie? If your hand's not up, you're a liar. Uh, second one, how many of you have desired and wanted something that someone else has and had just this jealousy inside? It's called covetedness. Okay, some of you wanting to have your hand up, you just coveted. Um, so those are part of the Ten Commandments. But what about, okay, so Jesus points out the greatest commandment when someone asks him and says, this is the first, the greatest commandment of all time. And he, So let me ask you, have you obeyed this one? Have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your body, and all your strength? No, no, no hands? Okay. And that's just three. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's just... Three of God's commands found in Scripture, and we all failed miserably. We, by nature, move away from God and toward death on a, just a continuum. And because we disobeyed God and sinned against him, we cannot accept his way. Our first reaction to him is not to say, okay, God, help me. Our first reaction is like, let me fix this. I know I can fix it. Just let me do more good things to outweigh my bad, and I guarantee you, I got it, God. I'll, I'll handle it. The problem with that is if you break a law here in the city of Lincoln and then obey a bunch of other ones, you're still not going to get off. It's not going to happen. My friend Kevin's going to take you to jail. He's a police officer. (laughs) But that's what happens, right? So we've broken his law, and the only way that that can be handled, Jesus had to become one of us in order to provide life for us. We are all broken, weak sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We are in desperate need of a hero. And I think Jesus, quite frankly, could be that hero because he exposes the truth about our actual life, but then he also gives us life in return. So when we break his law, his response is grace. What an incredible grace. It's a grace that is hard for me to understand. It's hard for us to understand. In fact, we don't function in grace. A lot of times we function based on the law. We really like rule followers until we break one. Then all of a sudden we want grace. And the problem with that is what we end up doing is we say, okay, if you work really hard and do all the right things, you'll get there. And if you don't, you deserve the punishment you get. We like to function in that. And, and, I, and I'm going to be honest. I, I have to confess, I function in that too. I'm not full of grace like Jesus. So last week, I was standing up here preaching. My daughter Evangeline made a beeline up here. And some of you guys saw that. And, and I was like, oh, it's okay, baby. Just go ahead and sit down over there. It's okay. And, and I had people like, oh, that's so sweet. And they came up to me, man, that was so cool. I was way to show her grace and blah, blah, blah. And love your daughter. What they didn't know is what happened Friday night um, before that. So if you have small children, you know that bedtime's always an issue. And so Friday night, my wife, she's going out with some friends. And I'm like, finally, she gets to go out with the girls, hang out good to go. I'm going to have the house to myself for a couple hours before she gets back because the kids are going to be asleep. All right, cool. I'm going to hit my sermon hard. I'm going to get my Bible out, my computer out, get a nice good cup of coffee and just relax. And so I got the kids to bed. I got down, sat on the couch, did not even open the laptop. And next thing you know, I hear some footsteps. So I walk upstairs and 
I find Evangeline, my five-year-old, and I was like, what's going on, sweetie? And she's like, you gave me the wrong dolly. I need the right one. I'm like, okay. So I grab the doll. I give her the doll. I get her back in bed. I say, good night, sweetie. I love you. Goodbye. So I go back downstairs. I sit on the couch. Of course, I hear some more steps. I hear the door open, and I'm like, who is this? Okay, so I walk back upstairs, and then my three-year-old Uriah is standing there, and he's probably the most honest out of all of them. And so he's like, I don't like going to bed. (laughs) Great. That's awesome. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, I appreciate that, buddy. I understand how you feel. I don't like to go to bed either, but let's let's go back to bed anyway. And I tuck him back in and say, good night. I love you. Bye-bye. So then I go back downstairs, and then, of course, the monitor goes off, and the baby's crying, Misha. Uh, And so I go upstairs, and I rock her, and I sing to her, and I put her back in bed and tuck her in, and I creep on my way out. Only the moms and dads are like, yes, you have to do that. Um, so as I creep out, I walk back downstairs. I open my laptop, get my Bible out. My coffee is finally done. I'm planning on watching a little blacklist beforehand, and I hear some more footsteps. At this point, I'm in rage. I'm just angry, upset, frustrated, just mad. And so I stomp upstairs throw my little fit on the way there, and I yell at my daughter at the top of my lungs, Evangeline, you need to go back to bed right now because I said so. And then I told her a couple other things. And then my daughter looks at me, precious girl, and says, you don't sound like my daddy. Ouch. And in that moment, I realized that I was not living out of the grace and the mercy that I've been offered with my own child. I was living out of the law. I wanted her to do exactly what I want right here, right now. And that's not the way God expresses himself to me, ever. And so sure enough, I gave her a lot of love and grace because God used my little girl to speak very good truth to her daddy. And so she got back to bed and The crazy thing about all of this, though, is that our sin, the things that we do, is not simply just getting out of bed when you're not supposed to. We hurt people. We hurt people we love. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We keep grudges. And we break the heart of our loving Father God. And in his response is every single time, grace. Undeserved, unmerited, unworked for, complete and utter favor before God. Actually, verse 16 says that we receive grace upon grace. So it's not just grace one time. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and even more grace. And then when you do something wrong, more grace. That's what he offers. Martin Luther says it this way. He says, Christ is an interminable well and the chief source of all grace. Even if the whole world were to draw from this fountain enough grace and truth to transform all people into angels, still it would not lose as much as a drop. This fountain constantly overflows with sheer grace. Wow. We're not good people trying to do good things in Lincoln. We're not more, the moral ones who stand out. The ones who have voted the right way or the ones who just are nice because of the spiritual job that we do. That's not who we are. What we are are a group of broken, sinful people in desperate need of grace upon grace. 
Listen, church, this group, us, the church, the reason why we sing, the reason why we open our Bibles, the reason why we gather together is not because it's the right thing to do, but because we've been given grace upon grace upon grace. The reason why I can have joy in the morning is because I've been given grace upon grace upon grace. What a gift! So I want to instruct just a little bit. Never look down on somebody. You can't. We must humble ourselves because the truth is when we look down on someone, we are forgetting the fact that we've been given an abundance of grace. One of the hardest things I've faced as a Christian is accepting grace and accepting it again. When I yell at my kids, when I judge somebody, when I lie, when I I do exactly what I know I shouldn't be doing, One of the hardest things to accept is the grace that God has given me and that he meets me with. The only thing I want to do is I want to just pay him back for it. I want to give back to him for it. And then every time I try harder to try to do gooder, he says, Mo, wait, stop. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. See, like what verse 16 is saying is that when you fail, he forgives. When you fall, he restores. When you doubt, he assures. When you run away, he chases after you. God isn't looking for perfect people because there aren't any. What God is looking for is broken, sinful people ready to be exposed and respond by believing in the Lord Jesus. Right now. That's what he's offering. He's offering grace for all of your sin, past, present, and future. Like in verse 12, what it says to us is, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So you see, if if you haven't believed on him yet, he's saying right now, right here, you have that opportunity. And the prerequisite is belief. The prerequisite isn't try harder, do good, or do a bunch of moral things. It's to receive and believe that the grace of God is only through the Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. And for those of you in the room who are already have received this grace, and you sitting there thinking, that grace is about to run out. I'm just going to do one more thing, and it's going to run out. Recognize that this passage says today and every other day forward, you're going to give, be giving grace upon grace upon grace. Because that's who he is. And when you get that grace, I want to challenge you. Your response can't be to make up for your sin, but you can be motivated. Take the grace that God has given you and be motivated to repent, meaning turn away from that sin and love God more. In remembrance of the steps that Jesus took to be able to give us light and grace, we're going to take an opportunity to receive communion today. Uh, The bread we receive is a symbol of his body being broken out for us. And the, 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 the wine, or juice in this matter, is this blood shed for us so that we might be reminded of the fact that he's given us grace and mercy. In a moment after I pray, I want to invite you, if you have trusted Jesus as your, the hero of your story, I want you to come up and partake with the family because you are a part of the family. There is no work to be a part of the family. The only prerequisite to take communion today to receive the elements, to be reminded of his mercy and grace, is to receive his mercy and grace. Amen? If you've believed on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved.